I'm Donica Contour, and this is Naptime Devotionals, episode 68, To Be a Greater Follower of Righteousness, studying Genesis chapters 12 through 17 and Abraham chapter 1 and 2. Welcome to Naptime Devotionals, a come follow me study for busy moms. I'm your host, Donica Contour. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I'm a daughter of God just trying to get home, and I hope that something I say here today will help you on your journey home too. So I was just thinking, should I redo my intro music every year that I do this? Or should it be like every annual year so that with each book of scripture, it changes? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm kind of leaning towards the first one because then I could add in this year we're studying the Old Testament or this year we're studying the Doctrine and Covenants or whatever. Obviously this year is Old Testament. So next year would be New Testament, but. I digress. So there is a lot to talk about, um, but I'm actually only going to focus on one thing. And it's in this set of scriptures, right? It's in um, Genesis 17, where the Lord gives Abram and Sarai a new name, Abraham and Sarah, right? So for the sake of clarity... I'm going to refer to them as Abraham and Sarah instead of jumping back and forth um, between, you know, prior to that point and after that point, whatever. We're just going to call them Abraham and Sarah the whole time, which is funny because all of my notes say Abram, but it's cool. It's fine. I was thinking about it last night. I'm like, I should just do it this way. So I am. Um, The thing I really want to talk about, and we'll talk about a couple of other things as well, but the thing I really, really want to focus on is this kind of interchange between Sarah and her, um, maid, her handmaid, Hagar, 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 we'll go Hagar. Um, cause this is an interesting moment. I, so we were reading this, we've been reading old Testament together as a family. And when we got to this part, we're a little beyond this now, but when we got to this part, I <laughs> kind of tongue in cheek, um, told Jake, if we had not been able to have children, we would have looked at other means of having children, like adopting. We, I was not about to give you, like, get a handmaid and like, you go knock her up. Not going to (laughs) happen. Sorry. Um, I care about having kids too, but not that much. (laughs) And he was like, okay. (laughs) But it's kind of funny. Anyway, so I know I don't usually, at least I try not to like, just give like a summary of what happened. Um, but the old Testament, we have so much going on in every single section that, and their readings are long. We're not talking like one or two chapters. We're talking like eight chapters. Um, so I'm just, I am going to give you like a super brief 20 second summary of what happens. Essentially, Abraham and Sarah can't have babies. They're old. They can't have babies. So, um, Sarah, well, Sarah can't get pregnant is the essence. And Sarah has a handmaiden, Hagar, and tells Abraham, listen, I know that you need seed. I know you're supposed to have all of these children. So I'm giving you my handmaid, get her pregnant. And so she becomes his wife and he gets her pregnant. And then Hagar starts looking down upon um, Sarah 
and like treating her as less than because she couldn't get pregnant, but Hagar could. So obviously Sarah takes issue with this and Abraham's like, I don't want to be part of this. She's your handmaid. Do what you want. And Sarah kind of comes down on her pretty hard. Hagar takes off. Angel shows up and is like, bro, what you doing? And she's like, well, well, and she's like, it doesn't matter. Go back. Like you, you need to finish your service essentially. Um, and so she goes back, she has the baby. I mean, there's more than that. He, he gives her blessings and whatnot, but, um, the here. Okay. This is what I want to talk about in this section is this is a beautiful example of human behavior. Um, for Sarah, right here, she does this huge sacrifice of giving her husband another wife to be able to provide children for him so that he will have an heir. Um, and that second wife starts acting all hoity toity. <laughs> and like, so Sarah gets pretty mad about it. And, um, I, I love that this is in here because I think that sometimes we have a tendency to read scriptures and to read and see the stories of incredible acts of faith. And, you know, um, we talk about like this past week prior to this, we were talking about Noah and how faithful he was and how like literally everybody else was so wicked that they could not find anybody else to save. It was literally Noah and his immediate family. That was it. They're on the ark. Everybody else, the whole world, just the end. Right. But, um, not all of our stories in the scriptures are stories of great faith. I think, um, sometimes it's mediocre faith, (laughs) if you will. And I, I don't know. I kind of was thinking about this story and for some reason I kept thinking about like guilt and shame. And I was talking to my sister-in-law about this, um, this week and how I don't want to use the word guilt anymore because I feel like it's interchangeable with shame. And I don't think that that's in like supposed to be how it is. Um, so I want to use the term godly sorrow, which I, I just appreciate more, I guess. Um, and so we have godly sorrow, which is I'm not acting in a way that I want to, right? I'm not acting in a way that aligns with the human being I want to be. I'm not acting in a way that aligns with the human being heavenly father knows I am capable of being. And so I feel this godly sorrow of er, redirect, right? Um, I think of like a GPS and like you have to, when you take a wrong turn, it tells you recalculating, right? And it's that oh, recalculating. We need to recalculate our way back to where we need to be going. And I think, I don't remember if it's in here, but I think Sarah may have had a little bit of this where she came down hard on Hagar. And on the one hand, from the natural man standpoint, I get it. Like, I'd be mad. I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, the only reason you're even part of this equation is because I can't have babies. If I could have babies, we wouldn't need you. Like, you're literally like, no. But is that how Sarah wants to show up? Mm, probably not. 
is probably not her best moment. And here it is immortalized in words for good jillions of years. Um, probably not her best work, but it's here. And I think that it's important to recognize the difference between that godly sorrow that makes us say, oh, I didn't behave in a way that I want to. I'm going to do better next time. I'm going to think about what I want to do the next time this kind of situation comes up. How do I want to respond to this? And putting the, having a little bit of that forethought and doing that each time you make a mistake is going to help course correct a little bit easier each time. Um, shame, right? Shame is useless. Shame is a tool of Satan. I genuinely believe, I remember hearing somebody say one time that God is a creator. Satan is not a creator. He's a twister. He twists things. He takes things that are beautiful and amazing and magnificent things that God has made and he twists them for his own purposes to make them horrible. I mean, super easy examples are things like social media and technology and um, like the atom bomb, like the guy who invented the technology necessary to do that never in a million years or not the atom bomb. I don't know, whatever the nuclear, I think the nuclear bomb. Anyway, the point is the guy who invented it had intentions of creating something to create energy, to be able to fuel the world in a cleaner way. And of course it was twisted and used for a purpose of destruction and chaos and mayhem. And that's, that's how Satan works. And so I think that keeping in mind that Satan takes something like guilt, that godly sorrow and he twists it into shame. And so it goes from, I'm not showing up in the way I want to be. And this is the way I need to show. Like I want to show up in this way and thinking about it that way in kind of a clean kind of way. It twists it into, I'm not showing up in the way I want to show up. And that makes me a bad person. And now I'm not worthy of love. And now I'm not worthy of the um, gifts of the atonement. I'm not worthy of the love that God and heavenly father have for me or that other people have for me in my life. And that's of course, complete and utter nonsense. Anyway. So I think that when we look at this exchange between Sarah and her handmaiden and Abraham, I think it's a beautiful example of what human nature is and how sometimes we make choices with really good intentions and sometimes the way that we respond when it doesn't work out exactly the way we wanted is not <laughs> the way that we wish we would have. And we, can, we can't go back in time and do it a different way, but we can look at it with loving and merciful eyes and recognize, okay, I didn't show up in the way I wanted to, but how can I show up in the future what is the way that I want to show up? How do I want to handle this situation if something like this happens again in the future? And then you're more likely to do that. Um, so one of the other things I want to talk about um, is Genesis. Um, oh, I didn't even tell you. So that last, the um, Sarah and Hagar stuff is Genesis uh, 16 verses 1 through 8. Um so the last thing I want to talk about here really quick is Genesis 13 verses 8 through 14. This is Adam and Lot. Um, they're splitting the land and Lot chooses to pitch his tent toward Sodom. And Abraham moves to the plain of 
what the heck did I write here? Mammy? Is that right? Mam Mamry? Mamry? I don't know. He moves to a different, to a plane, um, and builds an altar to the Lord, right? So he creates a little temple, if you will. Um, not quite temple, but an altar to the Lord, a place of worship to the Lord. And I think that this is, I mean, obviously we know how it kind of ends up for Lot versus um, Abraham. And Abraham, we know that he faces God. He is a follower of God. I think it even says at one point, um, I don't remember where in the scriptures, but the Lord says something to the effect of, or maybe it's for next week, but he says something to the effect of, I know Abraham. I know him and I know he's going to raise his seed to follow me, um, which I think is really like, I don't know, like that sounds like a major compliment coming from the Lord that it's like, oh, I know him. He'll be fine. Like he's going to be cool. Like we we're good. We're good with him. Um, but I think it's so Im important. This moment is so defining. Like, obviously we can look back because we have the benefit of hindsight. We can look back and be like, lot, that is not a good idea. Don't face towards Sodom. It's not good stuff. And it changes so many things in his life. He has so many different experiences that might not have happened if he had faced a different direction, if he had chosen to face the Lord and chosen to turn himself like, okay, I want to be over by Sodom, right? Like this is, this is the land that I want. It happens to be by Sodom, but we're not facing that. We're going to turn our backs on that and build an altar and face that, right? Like Abraham did. Um, and I think that it's really important that, um, Abraham builds an altar to the Lord. There wasn't one there. There wasn't one there. And I think sometimes we're like, well, how do I face the temple? There isn't one here. There isn't one near me. Actually, there is a temple in Pocatello. Woohoo. Um, but we build it. Not necessarily that you have to go out and build a temple, but we build that place of worship into our homes with the media that we fill it with, with the songs and the books and the movies and the words that we speak with each other with the feeling that we bring into our homes we build that place of worship within our homes and we're able to keep Sodom out um and it's not like Abraham wasn't close by right Lot gets kidnapped and Abraham goes and saves him and um and the king of Sodom comes over and is like, Hey, I'll take, you can have all the people. I'm going to take, I'm going to take the, um, all, or I want all the people. You can have all the stuff. And Abraham's like, Nope. <laughs> he doesn't want anything to do with this guy. He doesn't want anybody to be able to say, Oh, the king of Sodom made Abraham rich. He doesn't want anything to do with him. But the point is, is where our focus is, is where our path is going to lead. And so Lot had his focus, right? Every day when he got out of his little tent, he was seeing Sodom. Every day when he got out of his little tent, he saw Sodom. Abraham, every time he got out of his tent, saw his altar built to the Lord. And so kind of that's a really important thing to think about in terms of your own life, not necessarily when you get out of a tent specifically, when you wake up in the morning, 
what are you reaching for first? I will be the first to admit I am very guilty of waking up in the morning, opening up my phone and like, hey, Instagram, how you doing? Um, and I would love in the future to open my phone up in the morning and read my scriptures or better yet, um, since I'm on the downhill side of nursing the baby, I don't have to necessarily keep my phone in my room anymore. I can have my scriptures right there and pick up my physical copy of my Book of Mormon and read a couple of verses. Where do I want my focus to be? Um, and I think that that's a really small way of course correction and helping us recalculate our way back onto the path of the Lord. And I will talk to you guys next week.